Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, it's 1234 in Edmonton. This text comes in from Epstein's mother at 630-630 in our Heartland Ford text line. Bob, you don't do enough texts on the show. Okay, thank you, Epstein's mother. Uh, Carson from Vermillion has texted the show. Bob, can we get Bill Ranford as goalie coach? He's done good things in L.A. Carson, no, the Edmonton Oilers cannot get Bill Ranford as goalie coach. He's under contract with the L.A. Kings, and he is staying on Todd McClellan's staff. There you go. Uh, Louis DeBrus joins us from NHL Hockey and Rogers. Louis, how you doing? Hey, Bob, how you doing, bud? Doing well. Good. Are you going to Boston this weekend by chance? I am going to Boston this weekend. Yeah. So you're uh, you're you're shipping up to Boston, are you? I'm shipping up to Boston. I love that song. It's become my my new favorite song. So. That's your new favorite song. Well, maybe we'll yeah. get Brendan Escott to Polsch. <laughs> Is Brendan? Are you listening to the show right now? You got your head down over there. So maybe Paul's shipping up to Boston uh, for us. Yeah. Uh, excited. To wrap up uh, Louis's interview in about twelve to fourteen minutes time. So tell me about how cool of a an experience is this going to be for uh, for you and your family. Oh, it's already been awesome. Just thinking about it, to be honest with you, Bob. Just getting prepared for it and knowing that he's as stoked as can be to get going. And um, St. Louis Blues, a great story as well, too. Should be a terrific final. And you know what? Uh, for us, just watching how it's all kind of transpired for him in the last couple of years, I knew that I knew they were a good team this year. They had some help from different teams that took out some juggernauts early in the playoffs in both conferences, and then. You know what? Then it was, okay, war of attrition. Let's see who can grind through this playoffs and get to the final. And the two teams that made it were Boston and St. Louis. It was amazing how things kind of unfolded. And for the Bruins, they had to go through some tough teams. They had to go through some teams that were playing extremely high-end hockey, and uh, they found a way to win. And Tuka Rask, I think, is number one on that list on, on, on the player that just stepped forward and has played his best hockey I've ever seen him play that Jake's been a brood anyway. Well, you know, it's interesting. You're actually the second father of NHLer today that I've spoken to whose son's uh, playing in the Stanley Cup final. Um, you know, the case of a guy like uh, Jay Bomeister, who was 
a, a bit of a freak of nature, even at 12, 13 years of age, you know, skating at the U of A and with their alumni and you know, number one pick of the Bantam draft. Jake was a, a little bit of a late bloomer. You know what I'm saying? And it just shows you that there, there's different routes for kids to make it. And, you know, Jay waited a long time, Louie, as you know, to, to, you know, to play in the playoffs, let alone to play in the Stanley oh. Cup final. Like, all those years, he was a good defenseman, and people criticized, well, why, why can't his team get anywhere? And, and here he is, you know, coming off a, a hip injury that almost ended his career at 35. And there's Jake, and he's in his early 20s. It, it just shows you the different paths guys take, doesn't it? It does. And, you know, Jay, Jay especially, just, just a phenomenal skater. And, I mean, even, even at his age now, he's still an elite skater in the league, and that's what's allowed him to be so successful and stick around for so long is the fact that his mobility has been incredible. Um, you know what? And good on him for playing his game this year. There was a point at the start of this year where it wasn't going too well for Jay. And you know what? He had to really dial in his game and find it. And boy, did he ever, he just got back to the basics. I had a good conversation with him. I got to do St. Louis in the first round and he was outstanding in that series, just positioning and stick work. Um, didn't overextend. He just just made sure he was in the right place at the right time. And it's one of those quiet games you watch, and then at the end of the night you say, you know what? I don't know if he made a mistake tonight. Like that's pretty incredible in a high octane, physical, fast game to be that disciplined just to play the game that he plays. And um, so, congratulations to him. He's always been a great kid. I've always liked watching him play. He's always been uh, genuine, and and he's played a long time to get to this point. So. You know, that's a, that's a hat off to him to, to stick around for as long as you have and to battle it out and to get there. And, you know, we had a stat of the, you know, four players over a thousand games that had never won a Stanley Cup, and he's the last one standing. So um, the, the San Jose Sharks had Brent Burns and Joe Thornton, and uh, now Jay Bollmeister is moving on to the final. So congrats to him. And, yeah, you're right. You know, when every player is different, there was always those players growing up that were front runners that were, you know, just excelled and were ahead of the game. And, um, you just looked at them and said, there's no question this kid is by far the best player on the ice at this time. Yeah, And, you know, it was harder, I think, for those players to maintain that. Obviously, the Connor McDavid's of the world, um, you know, just, you know, continued to blossom, continue to get better, and continue to excel at every single level they went to. And they're generational players. But for the most part, the thing that people forget is that those players early on in their careers, especially in, you know, minor hockey, going into junior Every other player is trying to track them down. And I, I don't think people understand the magnitude of that. You're the best player in the game when you step into midget, but everybody's trying to catch you. Everybody's trying to be as good as you, and you're a target. And you're a target from an early age. And for them to be able to battle through that and continue to excel and be the best, that's what makes the best players in the league. And the league is littered with them. Um, that have gotten to that point. And then there's a lot of players that have had to battle from a spot below to get up to that caliber to try and make it. And, I, and I've always said the most dangerous players for me seem to be the players that continue to improve, that continue to excel. Um, maybe then, you know, you, you watch them in the American Hockey League, and you're like, okay, they're a solid player, but then they come back the next year and they become a really good player in the American Hockey League. And then you watch them the next year, and they're a solid player in the NHL, and they just continue to improve. Um, those are typically the types of players that when they do make it, they stick around for a long time. We're joined by Louis DeBrosque. Louis, it's interesting. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about the Western League. Your son played for Swift Current. Mark Lamb, uh, was Mark 
the uh, the yep. GM at the time that drafted him, and we've already, and we'll hit on Mark a little bit later on once we get to the, the Dave Tippett rumors that are out there. But, uh, you know, Jay went number one in the WHL Bantam draft. Colton Pareko, I don't think, was drafted in the WHL Bantam draft. You know, Luke. <laughs> There's uh, a late bloomer there. Yeah, a uh, big uh, late bloomer. And an unbelievable <laughs> yeah. player. Yeah. Uh, Upshaw. Unbelievable human being, too. Great kid. Great kid. Colton you know, Upshaw yeah. and Lupul went six and seven one year in the NHL draft. They weren't drafted in the Bantam draft. Uh, you know, Jay went number one. I think the next year, Prince George took a kid named Ryan Kerr, big defenseman number one. He never played a game in the NHL. So it just shows you, like, you know, it, it, it's kind of crazy when you think about it. And, and Pareko, I mean, that last series, Lou, Colt Pareko was the best player in the series for me. Yeah, he's just, he's a beast. He really is. You know, it, it's incredible to me when he, uh, when he wants to put that big frame to work, he's he's just an absolute horse out there. He can he can do so many things. He can be physical. He can be mean. He's got the skill set for a guy that's six foot six, the reach, and the cannon of the shot. Um, it's coming together for him. You know, Larry Robinson on board with the St. Louis Blues, I think, has done wonders for that defense core. I really do. I've talked briefly to some of those players about that. Um, just and you know what? It's just a calmness that Larry brings. You know, that's what Jay told me. He said, "Listen, Larry's not the kind of guy that's going to run in there and say you need to do this and you need to do that. He might pick out a small little tiny thing, um, but coming from Larry Robinson, it's it's you know you listen. It's like okay, you know what? Maybe I'll try that. It's about positioning. It's not about you know being um, angry at a player. It's about listen, go out and do better the next shift. And I think Craig, Craig Berube's done the same thing in that." in that locker room where the players understand that if they make mistakes, he's going to give them an opportunity to work through it and try and figure it out throughout the game. So he doesn't lose many players in games. Uh, and that's one of their strengths, I believe, as a team, just from covering them and watching them. I think they're, they're continually in the game because um, he utilizes his bench. Um, so does Boston. You know, both teams are very deep, and they both used their, their entire bench, and I think that's why they've had success in the playoffs. From NHL Hockey and Rogers, Louis DeBrus, Bob Stoffer with you in Oilers now. Uh, quite the contrast in goal. I mean, Tuka Rask right now is probably the front runner to win the... Uh, uh, you know, the Conn Smythe Trophy. Uh, Jordan Bennington, you know, I, I know Jordan Bennington told players last summer this was going to be his last year pro hockey. <laughs> you know what? It's amazing. I, I had a conversation because he went and played in Providence. Yeah. You know, so he's a goalie that refused to go to the East Coast Hockey League. Yeah. They sent him to Providence. You know, he was, I don't know, fifth on the depth chart in St. Louis. Yep. He told me that he went to Providence to play for other teams. He said, I'm going to Providence so that I can play so that other teams can see me and other teams can scout me and maybe I can get a job with somebody else. I don't think he ever really thought that he was going to get the opportunity that he got with the St. Louis Blues. But I'll tell you what, I, it's, it's incredible how he's grabbed the ring. I, I continually watch this kid and say, what a story. I just, I, it's so impressive to me how he's been able to step in there and he has a perfect demeanor for it. He, he he never gets too high, never gets too low. He kind of stays in the battle. He's got a team battle in front of him. Um, give the guy a lot of credit, and that's why you never really know with prospects um, when they're going to turn it on, what type of player they're going to be when they get that opportunity. But it also says when you do get that opportunity, you need to grab the reins, and it's not as easy said as it is done. Well, um, I can't say enough about him. You know, and Tuka Rask on the other side, you know, He's playing the best hockey, I think, of his career. He's just settled in. He's uh, poised. He's enjoying the game. 
And he's got a team battling in front of him as well, too. He's letting letting him see the shots that he needs to see. He's making some saves maybe that he shouldn't make, as both goalies are. But, um, yeah, it's it's been impressive goaltending by both teams and um, remarkable stories each in their own right. Louis, when you're down at ice level, who chirps more, Patrick Maroon or Brad Marchand? <laughs> no question, Patrick Maroon. It's <laughs> not even close. That guy can't help himself. Yeah. You know what? I think Marchand is, uh, you know, he might have a certain target or a certain player that he's battling with, whereas Patrick Maroon will invite anybody into the discussion. He's like, let's go. In Winnipeg, he would stand there at the center ice and wait for somebody even to look at him funny so he could chirp them. And listen, this is how Patrick Maroon gets himself into the game. And I said it a couple of times during the telecast. I was like, you know, this is him getting himself into this game. He hadn't played much in the one game, but he was out there trying to force himself into it. You know, Craig Berube was an emotional player. He was the type of player that went out there, and obviously we know he was great with the fisticuffs. I had many tangles with him. I had three fights with him. He's, he's one of those guys that was always in the mix physically, but he also wasn't afraid to chirp. He, he, he was, you know, he was... He was one of those policemen out there that went out there and, and made sure that everything was okay, and he wasn't afraid to chat. He wants his players to be very vocal, and Patrick Maroon fits that to a T. And you know what? Um, people can say sometimes it's distracting, but for Patrick Maroon, that's what he needs to do to get himself into the game. He's trying to pick a target. Patrick Liney in the first round of all guys, he picks the six foot five fifth, and he actually got him to engage for at least four of the games where he was talking. Now, it didn't work because Line I think, had five goals or four goals in the first four games. Yeah. But you know what? Later on in the series, he started to wear him down a bit. Like, it's just, it, it, that's all part of the seven-game series. That's all part of the playoff mentality. It's not always about, you know, trying to get everything done in the first game or the second or the third or the fourth. It's about wearing teams down. The physicality in the first game pays off in six and seven. And I truly believe that mentality. I'm a big believer in that. I think the work you do early in the series, if you're consistent with it, will pay off in the end more often than not. And that's, you know, that's Patrick Bruin in a nutshell. He's just trying to chip away at some armor of different players. And then, let's face it, he scored some huge goals in this playoffs. He's he's been a big player for them. Uh, Is there a PG-13 moment you could uh, share with us that had you chuckling? No, but you know what? It was funny because, you know, Patrick, you know, there's been lots of talk about his, you know, conditioning coming into the seasons. And, you know, he's a big guy and yeah. a fast league. He's done a great job for a big guy that's not really that fast to stick around because he has great puck skills. He can stay on pucks. He can handle it. And Patrick Line, you know, in, in not such a polite way, and I know Scott Oak touched on this in one of his little things, but he, he called him chubby. He goes, you're too fat to play in the league. You know, he says, you're chubby. Like, I don't know how you get around me. I said, and Patrick Maroon, without missing a beat, said, you know what? I might be chubby, but I'm effective. And, and you know, I had to, like, double, because you don't hear a lot down there. I know people think you're hearing every little conversation. Right. But I'll tell you what. It's loud down there. They've got the music blaring. They've got the people out on the ice shoveling. You've got people in the stands yelling. you got the cannons going off with T-shirts flying in the stands. You're not hearing, in order to hear something, it has to happen right in front of you. And, you know, I was lucky enough for that one. I had heard it, but I still didn't 100% know that's exactly what was said. So I'm not going to come on the air and say, you know, I think he said this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in and ask him. So I went and talked to him the next day, and Patrick, in typical form, 
you know, there was no, he didn't sugarcoat anything. He said, this is what he said. He goes, I don't care. He goes, you know what? I'm perfect. I'm getting a guy that doesn't talk too often to talk to me. And he's just, you know what? The battle within the battle. I love that though. I like that kind of stuff. It can work for some guys. It certainly can get some guys off their game too. But uh, you picked two of the best in Marshawn and uh, in Maroon. Those two guys, they took their battles for a reason. Yeah, wasn't it, uh, and I know you've got a, a real good relationship with Wayne Gretzky, but the story tells, I think in game three against the Flyers in 85, and one of the Flyer players was like, Wayne, it's going to be a long series for you. And Wayne turned around in front of the Flyer bench and goes, I don't know what you're talking about, but I plan on this thing being over in five. <laughs> and, and even the guys on the Flyers bench were laughing, right? They're, it was a pretty good comeback. So, and you know, it's probably true in his mentality, my mindset, and mentality. He probably believed that too. He's like, you know what? We're not really expecting to be around here for too long, so get ready for a short series. But an yeah. ultra dynamic team with the best player in the league. They they had a little bit of you know confidence behind them. That's for sure. All right, uh, coaching tracks and how guys go today. DJ Smith. Named a uh, NHL uh, head coach. He'd been the associate with the Maple Leafs, okay? Uh, in the case of uh, both uh, Barube, uh, you know, moved up from assistant to head coach, but had been a head coach before in the league. Cassidy, head coach before in the league, and then back in the AHL. Um, do you think the past failures of Cassidy, when I say failures, I mean, relatively speaking, but, you know, Barube and... and uh, Cassidy have had look-sees in the NHL before. They come back as better coaches in that situation when they get the yeah. chance to run the reins, don't they? I really do believe that. Mike Sullivan had him to the mix, too. He went and won a Stanley Cup with Pittsburgh, but had a short tenure with Boston early in his career, and he even spoke openly about the fact that being thrown into that fire early in his career was difficult, but he learned a lot from it. He learned a ton from it. Uh, Dallas Aikens is another name being thrown around for Anaheim right now, still in the playoff to San Diego. So um, potentially he could step in to be the new head coach of the Anaheim Ducks, a guy that came into Edmonton, didn't have success here. But ultimately, there's no question, um, those those situations sting. And any long-time coach, long-tenured coach in the NHL, if you look at their resume, they've been around the block. They've been in different positions, different situations. It hasn't always worked out, and they've had to learn and overcome from those situations to try and be, be a better coach. So I think what it does, and no different from a player that's cut from a team, there's a fire inside that starts to burn, and you say, okay, what do I need to do to be better at my craft, and what can I do to make sure that I bring that forward in the next opportunity that I get? And I, I really don't think – I think coaches, if anything, I think people underestimate how passionate these guys are about the game. I, I know we see them with this calm demeanor most of the time behind the bench. They look like a tactician. But from the coaches that I've had experience with in my playing career and now in the broadcasting business, these guys have fire inside that they're a competitive bunch. They're as competitive as anybody. Louis DeRoss joining us from NHL Hockey and Rogers. Louis, um, I'm, you know, it's a fluid situation with the Oilers head coaching scenario. Yep. Give me your thoughts. If Dave Tippett ends up being the Oilers head coach, what does it mean? Well, you know what? I've always had a lot of respect for Dave Tippett, and I've always felt that he's been, you know, one of the better coaches in the league. I always have. And, and you know, I've talked about this before in the sense that I've always felt that he's, he's great at, you know, bringing up the caliber of a player in his organization. So, I mean, if he has a player that's a fourth liner, he's going to try and bring him up to a third liner. 
you know, if he can. He's going to try and make that player individually so he's better for the team. Um, but, you know, it's funny. You brought up Mark Lamb early in the show, and I played with Mark Lamb. My son was coached, and he was the general manager in Swift Current. And I've had long conversations with Chop about Dave Tippett, who he's also worked with as a coach in the National Hockey League. You played for him down the IHL, and one of the things that he told me was people forget about Dave Tippett is the fact that he was an offensive juggernaut when he first came into the coaching ranks. He was a guy that was really offensively motivated. And if you look at his team's, in Houston, in the IHL, when he first started coaching, I played against that team that won the championship that year. They were ultra-dynamic. They were an incredibly offensive team. Now, what I'm, the reason I'm bringing this up is he also said, and I've seen, this is what I've seen throughout his career too, is he's never been afraid to change. He's never been afraid to have to look inside and say, you know what, I need to change the way I'm doing things here to be more successful in the long run. And I think that's a sign of a great coach. I really do. I think that's a sign of a coach that can adapt to the times. People have questioned whether or not he can come in and coach in today's game. Give me a break. This guy's one of the smartest coaches around. This is, this is an intelligent hockey guy. But all he does is think the game on a daily basis. And he's trying to find ways to tweak systems and tweak structure in his system to make it better for his team. Uh, I have no doubt that if he does indeed get the head coaching job and looks like he's the front runner to get that job, um, he'll come in and he'll manipulate that structure and system for this team respectively with the talent that he has at his disposal. Um, I, I'm a big Ken, I, I'm you know what I'm a big guy in the sense that if you can come in and get the best out of your lower tiered players and get the best out of your top-tier players, that's a sign of a great coach as well, too. You know, because you're trying to make it all for one, one for all. I mean, that's, that's the thing. And you can't just totally concentrate on the top players. You have to bring your weakest links up to make sure they're strong, too. And uh, Dave Tippett can do that, I think. Well, eight of, the, eight of his first nine years as head coach in the NHL, he made the playoffs, final five in Arizona. And you, if anybody, knows the challenges in Arizona. Uh, he did not make the playoffs, but I think we can agree they didn't have the offensive horses at any point up front out of it for the last two years. Well, and, you know, not to jump in, but that to me that kind of shows that in a situation that he was given, he had to play a certain way. Yeah. So you're, are you trying to tell me that if he comes in here and he's got Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and he's got these offensive guys, he's like, okay, you know what? We can do some different things here. Not, and I'm not saying just go right outside the box, but he's going to certainly try and manipulate that a little bit to try and make it more conducive to what he has at his disposal. I think any coach would do that. And uh, you know what? Uh, he hasn't really had a superstar like Connor McDavid. I mean, he had Mike Madonna really in his career in Dallas, and they were an offensive team. You know, they were a team that played the right way. There's no question about that. But, you know, if he does get it, I'm, I'll be really interested to see how he uh, – how he deploys McDavid, how he deploys Dreisaitl. Does he keep them together? Does he split them up? Is he finally the one that can kind of find um, But obviously something that needs to get done here, and uh, it sounds like he might be the guy. I don't know that for sure, but uh, he definitely gets my vote as a guy that I would, I would have no problem bringing in as a head coach because he has such a great track record. Louie, we want you to have the best of time. When do you ship up uh, to Boston? <laughs> I'm shipping up to Boston on Friday. Tomorrow night. Well, actually Saturday. It'll be Saturday morning. All right. Well, keep keep Cindy uh, in line, eh? We know how she likes to go on those road trips. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, bud.
That's, Take care. You bet. That's Louis DeBras from NHL Hockey and Rogers. Boston and the St. Louis Blues Stanley Cup Final starts Monday. Guests on the show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Roos Chris, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow Sizzle to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie and the staff that Oilers now sent you. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Brian Burke for Canadian Power Pack when we return on Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad.